this week we're going to look at two primary passages together in dealing with wisdom. I might call tonight uh, the role of wisdom in the Christian life. That could be one way you could say it. The second would be maybe walking in wisdom, and I think maybe maybe that's what we might go with, walking in wisdom, and so what does that look like? Two main passages, and the reason we're looking at two is because as I did with Proverbs, I wanted to show you some themes that were repeating over and over that the authors were trying to push into their readers, and so you do that with repetition, and so they come at us over and over again, and so there are some concepts, some themes that come through Paul's writings in particular uh, in Colossians and Ephesians that are uh, concepts that are parallel, and you're going to see exactly what I mean. We're going to look at some different aspects of wisdom and walking in wisdom in the Christian life and how Paul tells us these same things both in Colossians and in Ephesians, uh, except with one exception, all in the exact same order even. And so we're going to look at Colossians 1, 3 through 14 and compare it with, at the exact same time, uh, Ephesians 1, 15 through 21, and then we're going to jump because he goes off into a particular discourse, that, uh, but we're going to go to the conclusion, which is found in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. So uh, maybe sounds like a little bit more than what it is, but uh, pretty simple. We're going to walk through a couple of things, and uh, I've got them on the screen for you, so very simple concepts tonight, um, but what do we mean by simple concept? Because sometimes it might be easy to grasp mentally, but that's the whole idea of walking in wisdom, is that it might be an easy concept to grasp in your mind, but what is actually happening with the knowledge that you've been given? And so uh, that's what we're looking at tonight. So... Uh, I'm not sure how you want to do this in your Bible, if you want to open to one primarily and look at it, or if you want to open to both and flip-flop between them, entirely up to you. Uh, I have the privilege of having both at the same time, so I'm not sure how you want to handle that, but you can go back and read both uh, after this, but we're going to be looking at both at the same time, okay? First thing we're going to look at is uh, confession, which is faith and love, and I'm going to explain this, and we're going to see what I mean, but the two verses that we're looking at, found in Colossians 1 verse 4, compared with Ephesians 1 15. So, let's, I'm just going to read both of those, okay? Colossians 1 4 says, uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Ephesians 1 15 reads, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Ultimately, they'll say the exact same thing. Did you hear it? I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your love that you have for all the saints. He said it in both particular circumstances, and everything he has to say about walking in wisdom follows, flows from these two fundamental issues concerning what? A person's confession. A person's confession. Since I've heard of your faith and love. Genuine faith in Christ demonstrates itself how? In love for the brothers. Who else has been saying this on repeat? Not just me, I'm not talking about myself. John, is that not his main point over and over and over again? is that if you truly are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, here is what we know will be happening in your life. You will be loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. 
it will necessarily follow and be true. And so he doesn't simply say, uh, since I heard of your faith and I assume that things are working out and that you're acting like a Christian. No, he said, I, I did two things. Number one, I heard that you made a confession of faith. And number two, I heard that you're actually living it out in a real way. I heard that you have faith and that you also have love for the brothers, which tells me you have demonstrated your faith to be genuine. Does that make sense? I wonder if Paul were writing a letter to you or to me, would he say these two things about us and our confession of faith as a believer? Let me tell you what I've heard about you. I've heard not only that you have knowledge of the gospel, great, and that you've confessed it to be true, wonderful, but I've also heard this about you, that you have so much love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. I've heard that about you. Would that be the report of us? John 13, 34 and 35. I read this when we started uh, in the letters of John, but I just wanted, it's so applicable tonight. Uh, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. What was that new commandment? You can say it out loud. I, I can't really hear you. I think I'm losing my hearing. What? Go ahead, if you know it. Love one another. If a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that in itself is not a new commandment. We trace that back through the law. We find that in Deuteronomy. We find that in Leviticus, even. Love. So that's not new. What, what is kind of the, the twist on it that, that does make this brand new? What is it? Anybody know? That's right. Yeah, it, there's a degree to which we are to love. And how is that love most profoundly manifested to us? through Jesus Christ, right? There's, there's been a display of love, and that love has been manifested in Jesus Christ and what the, his person, his work, what he has done for us, that God so loved us that he sent his son, and then his son comes, and what does he say? That if you truly are a believer, you ought to be loving, and you should be loving in this way, the way that I have loved you. And how is he about to love them? By laying down his very life for them. In Paul's eyes, they have been given uh, evidence of a genuine confession of faith. The first thing that Paul lays out about walking in wisdom comes from, flows from, a genuine confession of faith. Do you see it? Now, you don't see the other things yet with me because we haven't gone there yet. But we have to start here because this is what everything comes from. So we start. And then, second, this. Association. Yes, I used uh, alliteration tonight. Okay, confession, association. The second thing that he says is thanks and prayer. Okay, look at Colossians 1.3 and then look at Ephesians 1.16. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Do you hear both thanks and prayer in there? And then Ephesians 1.16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. Do you see thanks and prayer? Now, I've said association here. Here's the thing. Thanks for them. Thanks for what? I never cease to give thanks for you. I never cease to give God thanks for you. Let's just be honest and kind of cut to the heart of our 
kind of our, our thoughts, our disposition towards other believers. Is it true of you that you just, I, I, don't, I, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I just, all the believers around me, surrounding me, the people of my church who have come, I, I, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I'm so thankful. Is that always our disposition? The honest answer is no. Okay, thank you. Just making sure we're on the same page. And prayers for them. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. We always thank God the Father when we pray for you. Is it also part of what we do that because we love, see how all these things flow together. Because we have a confession of faith and that we have love for the brothers, what are we doing? We're thankful for them and we're praying for them. He's about to get to wisdom, but things are flowing first. There's kind of an upstream thing happening here. There's a confession of faith, and it is uh, evidenced by love for the brothers. And then second, there is a thankfulness, a gratefulness to God that there are other believers and that he is doing the work of salvation. And then also that we are praying for them. Why? Because we love them and because they're such a great joy to us. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So do you see how there is an association here a, that we become part of one another as we are part of the body of Christ, which changes the way we operate? We are no longer lone individuals we are not renegades. We are not those who are off on our own, doing our own thing. But all of a sudden, we have an association. And that association necessarily ties us to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has individual manifestations called the local church. We are the body of Christ. We are a local church. What does that mean? Well, what we ought to be doing, because we don't know the names of every believer on the face of the planet, but we do know some, and actually we have uh, close association and fellowship with a particular group of Christians. And who is that? Our church. So we ought to, above all things, be thankful for the members of our church and be praying for the members of our church. And so let's just take it back and get real simple. Have you had a genuine confession of faith? And is that evidenced by love for the brothers? Second, are you thankful for other Christians in your life and the work that God is doing in salvation? And next, are you praying for them? Number three. And now we get a little bit larger chunks of scripture, okay? Number three is illumination. So there's another thing that comes, but it doesn't come, uh, I, I think, maybe in the way that we think. Paul is talking about something specific. He is, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is like, we were talking about genealogies with the girls today and reading the genealogy in Matthew. And, and you know, when you do a genealogy, it's because you have a target in mind. Like you're tracing someone's uh, genealogy. You're not just going somewhere. You know whose genealogy you're tracing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like you start way back here, but you know you have a goal. 
there's a particular path cut out and we're tracing it. Well, that's what Paul's doing with what he's saying so far. He knows where he's going, but he's starting here and he's tracing a path. We're following that path. I don't want to undo the path up here and just talk about this last part because it's interconnected. And that's what I'm trying to show you. And he didn't just do it once. He did it twice in both Colossians and Ephesians. And actually, I'm pretty sure he did it in more than one place. I just, I took it here. Okay? It was most obvious. So look at with me, illumination, which is knowledge and hope, uh, comes from Colossians 1, 5 through 9, and then also Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. I'm going to read the Colossians passage first, if you want to look there with me. Colossians 1, verses 5 through 9. And if I got my reference wrong for some reason, I broke this up so many times. I, 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 so just, you know it's right there somewhere if I've messed up my numbers, okay? I don't think I have, but I'm just saying that. So uh, verse 5 of Colossians 1. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. The you there being plural, right? That church. The day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has uh, made known to us your love in the spirit. That's how he knew. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you see how all these things are tied together. He heard about their confession of faith. He heard about their love for one another. And what did this prompt him to want to do? Because he knows the trajectory of the Christian life. And he knows if I'm not praying for these things, then I'm not truly loving them because I know where they need to go. I know where they want to go. And I want them to go here. I want them to go this particular direction. And so he's praying for them, that they might go that direction because he knows that that's what's right for them. And what does he pray for them? Well, he, he starts here. There is a hope laid up for you in heaven. But you're not there yet. But there is hope there, but you're not there yet. We're still here. And of this, that hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which actually tells me that if we're preaching a gospel message that doesn't have the hope of heaven in it, that's not the gospel message in its entirety, right? I wonder if we, when we actually talk about the gospel with people, if it just like if it's, a, if it's a here and now gospel. But a gospel that is here and now is not the fullness of the gospel. The, the full gospel is telling us about eternity. And for believers, we have hope laid up for us, eternal hope laid up for us. So he says, uh, you, but you've heard this. You heard this when the gospel was preached to you. You heard about this great hope. And indeed, the whole, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and it's increasing. What does that mean? That more and more people are coming to understand this great hope in the gospel. And people are being saved. More people are becoming believers. It's happening. It's bearing fruit. As it also does among you. Now, here's the thing. They are already believers. And yet, the gospel is bearing fruit among them. Do you see it? Okay, so it's not talking just about conversions. It's talking about how the gospel is taking root in them and it's bearing fruit in your church. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, 
he is a faithful minister. The word is diakone. I mean, it's deacon. If he's a faithful deacon of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to, to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with knowledge. Asking that you might be filled with knowledge. Now here comes that word knowledge again. We talked a lot about that word knowledge, didn't we? So he's asking that they might be filled with knowledge. Is knowledge the end goal? No. What is, what is the end goal? Yeah, wisdom, like actually taking that knowledge and it comes into understanding and then we have wisdom when we are acting upon it. We know the right thing to do, that we're putting these things into practice, right? There is wisdom. Walking in wisdom is the goal. We want to walk in wisdom. This is what's pleasing to the Lord, that we might do what is right, what is wise. Okay, all those who share this same hope find themselves in association with one another, right? All flowing from the same point. They are loving one another. They have the desire that they might grow in knowledge of God's will and of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, so let's see what he says in Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart What's your Bible say right there? Enlightened. Anybody else have a different word? Everybody has an ESV now? What does it say? No? Oh, did you say, oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> We're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Yep, and then it continues. Having the eyes of your hearts, what? Right. So there's, there's a little bit of a nuance there, and I know that other translations pick up on it. And so you get a little bit of a different understanding there, right? That there's an understanding of wisdom, that your ESV says your heart's enlightened. And what, what does that mean, that my heart is enlightened? Because it doesn't just happen with knowledge, but because you need knowledge, yes, but that knowledge has to go somewhere other than our brain. That knowledge has to seep down into our heart, and the way that that happens is by God having, like, opening the eyes of our heart. Now, I know that has become cliche to say that. But what is a better way to say it? This is what scripture is telling us, is that our heart is becoming enlightened. Our very inner being is opening its eyes to see a spiritual reality and to grasp it. Unbelievers cannot open that inner being to open their own eyes of understanding. But who is it that opens the eyes that can't see the blind eyes? It's God himself. Who is it that softens hard hearts? That is God himself. And so the prayer is that in even in believers, who is it that continually opens up our eyes wider and wider that we might see? It is still the work of God. It is not us at this point that if I just get more knowledge, I will be wiser and therefore more godly. But we can fall into that trap, right? 
if I just do more things, if I do more Bible studies, if I just whatever, 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 I will become more godly because I will have more godly knowledge. Now, may God use that knowledge to open your heart and your understanding that you might become more godly is the word I was using, more sanctified, more mature in Christ. Now he might do that. But he's depending on God to do that, to enlighten the heart, to illuminate the heart to these truths. That you might know certain things, that you might know the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. He gave him over as head, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That entire last section is talking about what? It's talking about Christ's power and authority. And if he has all power, if he has all authority, if he can do all things, what also can he do for you and for the church? Open your heart to have godly wisdom. He can do all these things. He's the one in control. Your knowledge of God grows from the time of your initial confession and as you're integrated into association with the church, your knowledge will grow as you are taught and around others who have this same hope as you. And the hope that you have is only strengthened as your knowledge grows and as the Lord is at work among us. Do you see how all these things are kind of working together? They're working together. Now at any point, if we say, I don't like that part and we break that part off, we're breaking off the part that God has ordained to bring about our spiritual sanctification. What am I saying? I'm not trying to say it in a cryptic way, but I think it came across that way. What I'm saying is that the Lord has ordained not only your salvation, but also the means of your sanctification. To detach yourself from growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God from a body of believers who associate around the same hope is to detach yourself from what God planned for your sanctification. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So we love one another. Hey, have you realized that loving other Christians and being in Christian community sanctifies you? No? Then you haven't been trying hard enough to love because the harder you try to love, the more your heart is going to get broken. But you're going to have to keep loving anyway and that sanctifies you. Or maybe you've learned it this way, that your marriage sanctifies you. Having kids sanctifies you. Being in relationships that you need to press on with sanctifies you. It is a grace of God in our life. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, the Christian community is much the same. And even, but here's the thing is that we, in a sense, have a freedom to just back away from it rather than press in. I can just back away. I can just not go. I can go to the one down the church or down the road and, and the one down the road, all those people aren't there. This is how we think. Right? 
or just not go at all? Put an end to the whole thing. Why torture myself with all these relationships that are so hard and messy? It is part of our sanctification. It is God's ordained means of sanctifying us. It's helpful to remember that, right? Press in. That's what God would have us do to love one another. And uh, it all comes together uh, right here. Did I finish even reading that? I did. Okay, good. Let's just go to the fourth and final thing for tonight, finish out these texts. It is comprehension. So we have our confession, which is necessary. We have second, our association, which brings us into community with other people who have made that same confession, right? And then we have illumination, which is God working on our heart by means of being in that community and the teaching that comes from that community and the accountability and encouragement that comes from that community. But then finally, it lands somewhere. Comprehension. Okay, so let's look at two different places. And I'm going to read the Ephesians passage first here because notice that I'm jumping from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5. I know that I'm jumping to chapter 5. If you read what's in the middle, he goes on in kind of a direction that's geared toward the church in Ephesus, but he's kind of making the same argument, but he brings his argument about all of this to a close. He just he has more filler before he closes his uh, statements on this issue uh, than in Colossians. And so I've gone to his conclusion, which is found in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And so he says, look, having said all this, look carefully then how you walk, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a, those are concluding thoughts. So finally, having said all of this about your confession, about loving one another, about being in association with other people who have that same hope, being in a church, having relationships with one another, but then also in that corporate context of being taught, of gaining knowledge and insight and wisdom, growing in the word of God and how God is working in our hearts. Okay, considering all of that, be careful what you're actually doing because we might get caught up just in the game of the whole thing, in just learning, in just coming and being part of a church and doing activities. Look carefully how you are walking, you as an individual. Look carefully how you are behaving in this world. Not as unwise, but as wise. Why? Because the days are evil. Every single one of them, there is evil all around us. The days are evil. And you need to make best use of your time. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, to that you might say, well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole goal, isn't it? I want to know, I want a calendar from God. And I want to know the job he wants me to take the degree he wants me to pursue, the person I'm to marry, how many children I'm supposed to have and what year and what month. I want a detailed list of all that the Lord wants to do and is going to do with me 
he can just, I don't know that I want to know the exact date and time of my death. But everything else, please tell me. I want to know. And if I can just know the will of God, then I'll behave properly. Or would you? Or would you? I, I really have to doubt that if we just knew every detail, it would make us worse people. So what does he mean, but understand what the will of the Lord is? To not understand what the will of the Lord is, is to be foolish. And we don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. So then what does it mean to know what the will of God is? Uh, without going into too much detail, because we've already talked about this on several occasions. If you want to look into how do we know the will of God, what is the will of God, R.C. Sproul has some great teachings on this. He breaks the will of God up into three particular categories, only one of which is what we ought to be really uh, pursuing. That's for us. The others are what God is going to do. Um, God's decree of will or what God is going to do, his secret plans for all creation and eternity, you don't know and you're never going to know. That's not what he means by know the will of God. That's not what the kind of wisdom he's talking about. You don't know, none of us do know, None of us do know what's going to happen in the next few minutes or tomorrow or what the next year holds for us. We don't know, and we're not going to know until it comes. So that's not what he means. Now, there is also God's will of disposition, which means the way God feels about certain things. The example that's given there, and I think it's good, is that uh, God does not delight in the death of the wicked, there are things that he delights in, things that he does not delight in, things that he loves, things that he doesn't love. But again, how does that modify you that you ought to be pursuing your kid? So there's, there's God's perceptive will. In other words, he has told us what we should be doing. So know who God is, yes, but what you should primarily be knowing is what God has said about how you are to be behaving in this world. And so where do we go for that? How do we know? Are we waiting for some kind of just prophetic insight, a dream, a vision? Is that what he's saying? Know the will of God. Just wait for your vision. No, that, that's not it either, is it? But you can know the will of God because he has revealed himself to us in his word. And so we go to his word. We look for knowledge. We look for understanding. And then we trust in him to enlighten our heart to that understanding so that we might behave properly which is walking in wisdom, right? Did all that come together okay? I would say it maybe more simply. There's a hidden will of God and there's a revealed will of God. We ought to pursue the revealed will of God and do what he has said. Therefore, we can know the will of God, okay? That's just in, uh, in Colossians 1. Uh, we, uh, we haven't read that yet. It's just a couple of verses. It's the, uh, par the parallel to the passage in Ephesians we just read. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There he said the same thing, right? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What does Paul pray for the people of the church? That they might have spiritual wisdom and understanding all for what purpose? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the end goal for all of us. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why do we want wisdom rather than foolishness? Because the fool does not do what's pleasing to God. That's, that is the idea of wisdom in its simplest terms. We ought to pursue what is godly wisdom. Why? Because the wise do what pleases him. And the fool does not. Now, while we might do foolish things, we are the ones who, by the Spirit of God, are able to comprehend with all the saints what is the hope laid up for us, what are the riches toward us in Jesus Christ, and it changes us. And God himself is at work in us, helping us to understand so that we might live in a way that pleases him. Okay? These concepts come together? Yeah? Now, he says, I want you to be strengthened with all power. And he says, I want you to be strengthened with all power for endurance, for patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father. As we pursue wisdom and godly living, here are some of the things that we need. Endurance, patience with joy, and thankfulness to God. All these things will be a temptation for, uh, for them to be robbed of us. We don't want those things in the midst of it. In, in your most foolish moment, go to it in your mind. You know some of them. You need endurance to turn it around and do what is wise. You need patience with joy because many times we suffer the consequences for our foolish actions But now we need patience with joy because our God is dealing with us as sons and he's always going to do what is right. And we trust in that with patience and joy, right? Because our God is a good God who, when we have foolish behavior, he does what? Turns a blind eye to it? Or he wants to correct us. He wants to correct our foolish behavior. Does our correction of foolish behavior feel good? Or does it feel bad? It feels bad. And what do you want to do when you feel bad? Give up and pout and whine and be miserable. The exact opposite of what Paul is calling for. That we might have endurance, that we might have patience with joy, and that we might give thanks to God in the midst of it, right? I, uh, be the last time that I, uh, I'm talking about these particular things, and I hope that I think I think actually five week for five weeks now we've been talking about wisdom, and uh, why was this on my mind? I'll tell you that uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I think I've told the story before, but the Book of Proverbs was the first book of the Bible I ever read um, because I knew I was a fool. That was one of the first great convictions of my heart. I know that I don't know anything and that I act in a foolish way. 
But why be wise? Why correct my behavior? Why put the effort into doing things that are wise? Like having prudence, for example. Thinking about the future. Is that a godly thing? Yes. Because the, the wise are doing what pleases God. And do you know that it pleases God for you to be prudent in your life? These are the kind of things that we have to attach the dots to. God actually cares about the way that you're living your life, how you're thinking about your life. Do the things that please him. Be wise in what you're doing. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most use out of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So you need to be careful. We all need to be careful how we're living, the decisions we're making. God has something to say to us, and he wants us to be wise in all that we do and to please him. And yet even in the midst of it, in the midst of our foolishness, he is a loving God, he is a gracious God, he is a good God who has called us into community and he gives us help and support with one another. That's a great and gracious thing that we have, that we can be thankful for. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word and for how you teach us, for how you help us, for how you correct us, for how you lead us into knowledge and understanding and into wisdom and i pray for us i pray for our church i pray for everyone uh for for those who are here for those who are not here tonight lord we need wisdom but we understand that we don't just sit and wait because even wisdom sits shouts in the streets and who is going lord i pray that we wouldn't be those that just stand idly by and don't run after, seek after wisdom as if wisdom were simply just going to come to us in the midst of our doing nothing. So God, help us to act and help us to take responsibility seriously. Help us to put effort into living lives that are wise, that are pleasing to you because we want to please you. Not because we have to please you to earn your favor or grace, but we already have it. It's our very desire that we please you with our lives. And so help us to be wise. Help us to make good decisions. Help us to plan. Help us to be careful with our speech and, and our reactions and being in control of our emotions. And we need so much help. And I pray that we would do all these things with endurance, with patience and joy, with thankfulness in our hearts to you for all that you have done for us. So God, I pray for our church. Uh, that we as a body would be wise, not just as individuals, but the individuals that come together and compose it, that as we make decisions as a church, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that we would do what pleases you, give us understanding, and help us to be careful and prudent. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, I still have David's card here, so if you were not here,